Gospel and chapter 21. And I'm going to pick it up, uh, Callum, from verse 12, if we can. So we've heard the account of how Jesus came to Jerusalem. And he came in that fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. And the crowds greeted him with praise. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, the whole city is stirred and asks, who is this? And then Jesus comes to the temple. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Let's just pray. Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. We worship you in our songs of praise. We have worshipped you in our prayers, in our thankfulness. We have worshipped you and we thank you for your word. And we just pray that today as we look once again at this familiar story, maybe familiar to some of us, maybe not, that you would speak again to us, your church to us as individuals, that we might be a people that are fashioned by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, there was a king, and he wanted to give his country a new lease of life. He decided to do this, he would capture a city that none of his people had lived in before and make it his capital. He did that so that no one would feel proud and boastful that he chose their city or feel excluded or resentful that he chose someone else's. It was quite a masterstroke and it would be a great city and he had a great vision that in that city he would be, build a place where God would be worshipped and his presence would be made known. The only problem was that the city that he wanted was perched high on a rocky crag. It was easily defended against attacks, which was one of the reasons why he wanted it as his capital. 
The inhabitants of the city were so proud of their defenses, so secure they felt that when they saw this upstart king coming in the distance with his army, they... They sent him a message. They said, even the blind and the lame can defend this city against you. What a thing to say. They've given the regular guards off, time off. We've put the blind ones on the watch and the lame ones to take the messages. And that will be enough. But this young king knew the weakness of this city. He knew that the weakness was the supply of water. He knew where the spring came and where the water rose up. And that was the way in. So the king set his men a challenge to attack through the water shaft. And he said, the first one up into the city will be my new general, the head of my army. And so it was that this king took this city. You'll find the story in 2 Samuel chapter 5. So the city was taken and it became his capital. The king was King David. The city was Jerusalem. The vision he had was to build a temple in the city. He never saw it accomplished, but his son did. And he also made a rule that no blind or lame were to come even near his palaces because of the scoffing and the arrogance of the inhabitants and what they had said. And I want you to remember that, that little detail. No blind, no lame, even near it. Excluded, marginalized, outcast. And the rest is history. If you'd like to read it, it's called the Old Testament. And it's really fab. Matthew And in chapter 21 that we have read is a thousand years later. And Matthew records the story of how another king comes to Jerusalem. He doesn't come as a conquering king at the head of a huge army. He's not coming to take the city by force. But he is coming. As a servant king, he is coming to do something there that will affect the whole world forever. He comes riding on the colt of a donkey. Very different from a conquering hero king who would have come on a stallion, on a horse, riding in. But Jesus sends his disciples to find that colt, the foal of a donkey, and he sits on it and he comes into Jerusalem to fulfill, Matthew says, what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah hundreds of years before. See your king 
comes to you. Humble, gentle, riding on the foal of a donkey. Here we have the account of Jesus, God himself coming to Jerusalem for this final time. He has said to his disciples again and again and again, he is going to come to Jerusalem. He will be handed over to sinful men. He will be tortured. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will rise again. But as Jesus comes, there is uproar. And whether the crowds have heard of all the amazing things that Jesus has been doing around Galilee, and even not so far away in Bethany, raising Lazarus from the dead, the crowds gather as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And they begin spreading their cloaks on the ground, which was an incredible mark of honor and respect. You know, when we see that picture, we might think of Walter Raleigh, you know, taking his cloak off in chivalrous honor before Queen, is it Elizabeth? Thank you, my history. They put the cloaks on the ground and on the donkey and the foal. They cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city. And they were beginning to ask questions. Who is this? Who is this who comes fulfilling this prophecy? Who is this? And he is welcomed as the son of David. That king who conquered Jerusalem and made it his capital a thousand years before. But in that span of time, that thousand years, for nearly half of it, the people of Jerusalem and the Jews had been praying, longing for a new king to come. A king who would be like David. A king who would come and deliver them. And they were beginning to say, is this him? Jesus had been to Jerusalem before many times, but never like this. Never so openly. This is an open declaration of the kingship of Jesus. But it's not the kingship that they anticipate. Because we know Jesus has come to Jerusalem to die, to be handed over, to suffer many things. To be killed, but on the third day to be raised to life. The meaning Jesus attaches to this so-called, and in our Bibles it's called the triumphal entry, is quite different from the expectation, the longing of the crowd. And as you know, crowds are quite fickle. What they shout and sing and chant in one moment, can change very quickly, and it does so with the life of Jesus. As just within a few days, I guess some of the same crowd would be shouting to crucify him. People turn to God notoriously, and I know it myself, when there is something that they want very badly, or they are desperate It's that kind of emergency break glass prayer that we all know about. It's how people are. 
when they're desperate or when they really long for something. Sometimes it may be the last resort, but they cry out. That's how people are. We've witnessed this in the surge of church attendance when there is a crisis. After Diana's death, there was an upsurge in church attendance in this nation. After the terrible events of 9-11 in America, in America and in Britain, there was a surge in church attendance. In times of war or crisis, suddenly there is a focus on the big questions of life. And sometimes it's only temporary. And in those cases that I've mentioned, it has been just temporary. And then things get back to normal. It's when personal things, and we cry out in a crisis. I've known it when people said, well, if God does this, then I will become a Christian. And God does something. And then they say, well, there's a coincidence. And it wears off. And we've seen it recently. I've been amazed. I've said this already at an evening service. As a football fan, for many years, traveling the country, hearing what football fans sing and chant and the way they behave and me being one of them. I have been amazed by the number of times I have heard the word prayer mentioned on the lips of footballers, on football managers, and on fans. And uh, we've got a picture of just some of the things. Players with t-shirts underneath their shirts, if they score a goal, they normally they would just rip it on, they'd have some other message, but pray for Muamba. T-shirts before the game, warming up, pray for Muamba. On the pitch, players, not knowing what was happening, thinking he may be dead. What's their response? Some are caught in prayer. It is amazing. And then the Sun newspaper. I was told about this because I don't regularly get the Sun. This is the front page. You noticed I said regularly. Never, actually, Front page, God is in control. Can you believe that? Because it was desperate. There was something that was desperately needed and everyone felt they had no resources left. What do you do when you have no resources? And the people who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem... They were longing for a king. They were longing for a king who had come and who would drive out the Romans. That's what they were longing for. Restore Jerusalem. Restore Israel. As we see, even with this, it can be momentary. Just so great to see the latest picture of Fabrice from his hospital bed smiling. His heart stopped. And I wonder how many people will say, well, it was just a coincidence that so many thousands of men, this is the thing, men were saying, pray, pray, pray. And my prayer is that God will use this somehow as a trigger. Maybe it will be temporary. Maybe it's just a blip. Maybe it's just something that captures the the media's attention because football is so big. But something happened. And you know what God has answered? 
He is alive. Back to the story of Jesus coming to Jerusalem. As he enters, yes, he's coming as a king. They welcome him as a prophet, as he fulfills a prophecy, and Jesus comes as a prophet. Luke records in the same uh, account of the triumphal entry of Jesus how Jesus stops and he weeps over the city of Jerusalem and he says, If you only knew what would bring you peace, but you missed the time of God's coming to you. And there is a day coming when this city will be overrun and the stones will be uprooted. And he prophesies judgment. And it's paralleled in the fig tree. If you've ever read that, you think, well, poor old fig tree. Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he comes to the temple looking for fruit. And he finds none. And the echo is the fig tree. He goes to the fig tree looking for fruit and he finds none. He comes as Messiah King. But he will be enthroned on a pagan gibbet. Within days crucified as a criminal. But he does come to answer the prayers of the people. He comes to deliver them from evil and oppression, but not of Roman occupation. But something deeper than that, the depths of sin. He comes to offer salvation to the whole world, but it's his plan, not ours. There are times when we ask Jesus to help us, and when we're desperate, And we want it now. And we want it in our terms. As those cries from those who welcomed him to Jerusalem. Give us peace now. Deliver us now. Save us now. Answer our prayers now. And Jesus is coming to answer all those things. But in his way and in his time. He is not just going to answer the presenting issue. He wants to do something more. And when we invite Jesus into our lives, he wants to do something more than just what we present to him. He wants to do something deeper, more than we can imagine. Sometimes more than we want. As he begins to change us from the inside out. God's purposes. As Jesus comes and as he comes to the temple, he overturns the tables of the money changers. And what he did with the money changers' tables, he does with the temple traditions. Matthew records an interesting thing that happens as Jesus comes to the temple. Remember the story of David. Who were banned from the temple area, the, the palace areas, the blind and the lame. And throughout the temple's history, the blind and the lame were not allowed to be there. They were unclean. They were marginalized. They were outcasts. They were not allowed in the temple area. But when Jesus comes, 
turns it upside down. Who comes to the temple area? The blind and the lame. And what does he do? He heals them. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, Jesus comes to fulfill the Old Testament. Yes, he does. But he comes to say it is for everyone. It's for everyone. The religious people had excluded the blind and the lame. Hypocrites. You've turned what was supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament to them. He comes to find fruit and he finds no fruit. But the ones who had been kept out for so long are welcomed in. And not only that, the children, the children start shouting in the temple courts praises. And the religious leaders are beside themselves. Indignant that Jesus would heal people and that he wouldn't shut the children up. Just for a moment here, Jesus stops the sacrificial system. And he will do once for all. As they can't sell, they can't exchange. It had become corrupt, empty, religious, meaningless. And Jesus comes to make all things new. And as Jesus comes to the temple, the parallel is this. When he comes to his church, what will he find? What is he looking for? He's not looking for religious emptiness. He's looking for purity and prayer and power and praise. He's looking for purity, a desire for holiness, a desire to be right with God, a hunger for God. Not something that's temporary. And we've been looking over the weeks at discipleship and we're going to continue with that after Easter. But Edward and I heard this wonderful phrase, the plural of disciple is church. The plural of disciple is church. And Jesus comes to his church looking for these things. And we have a desire in our hearts, part of our vision, to see God move in great power. We have a desire in our heart that is not just momentary, it's not just a temporary thing. That would be nice, wouldn't it, if God brought revival to this land once again. It is in our heart. It is in the DNA of this church. And it requires a response of a people that say, I will live for this. I will go for this. I will desire purity above possessions, above anything else. I will get my life sorted if it is in a mess. I will seek help. Because we want to live for God. He desires to find prayer. Passionate, prevailing, persistent prayer within his church. Not just lip service. 
He desires to meet us in power. He encounters with the living God. As the living God comes to the temple, the blind and the lame are healed. For so long before that, if they had come anywhere near, they would have said, go away. You're not welcome here. Jesus comes and they're welcome. And they're healed. And there's praise. Making worship central to all we are and all we do. And so as Jesus comes and we remember and walk with him through this week, and I encourage you this week, if you haven't done for a while, to pick up your Bible and walk with Jesus through these last days. From that moment when he enters Jerusalem. Read all the accounts of the Gospels. Let it feed your heart and your soul and your spirit that Jesus came for you and for me. I long for us to be a church that desires to be pure. To be a church committed to prayer. That's why we're highlighting prayer again and again. Yes, we pray privately. Yes, we pray in our small groups or our triplets and our prayers, but we also want to make space to pray at our monthly hungry meetings. We want to make space to pray on a Sunday morning if you can get here just a bit earlier just to come and pray. We want that to be the hallmark of this church. And we want to see the power of God manifest. To keep on praying for the sick. Even if we don't see it immediately, keep on praying, keep on praying. I was really challenged this week by something, just a simple thing. Someone, um, I was in a, in a group when someone said, what's the first thing you do when you have a headache? Now for me, the first thing I do when I have a headache is I go and get the paracetamols. This week, I've been challenged. first thing I'm going to do is pray. But I want to, you to see that in, in, in what I believe God is saying. Sometimes we don't go to God first. Whatever that situation is, we don't go to God first. See if we can work it out first. See if we can sort it first. Is there any other thing? Any other? First. Then. Yeah, then. Of course. But let's be a people that look to God first. And I want us to be a church where the lost find a welcome and find the presence of God in a way that they feel and come to know and understand that they are loved with an incredible passion as we have understood it and found it. The danger of becoming a Christian and walking with Jesus for so long is that we just get accustomed to the grace Accustomed to the love, accustomed to the goodness of God and are not continually amazed that he would love a wretch like me. This is our prayer, this is our vision as a church to see God move. And so our response this morning as we're going to share communion is to have a moment where we Just personally get right with God.
where we repent of our sin and we hunger for more of him. And as we share in this simple meal that Jesus, as we walk through this week, we share with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. We remember Jesus. The next time we will meet in this gathering will be Easter Sunday morning. There's an opportunity to come on Good Friday, but we're going to share communion this morning in anticipation of Easter Sunday. So let's just pray together. I'm going to ask the band if they would just come. Let's just take a moment. We don't want to do this lightly. We've remind, been reminded over the weeks not to become familiar with precious things. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come. And as we personally just get right with God this morning, we want to say sorry for stuff. We want to say we want to break free from things. We just ask for that cleansing. Let's do that right now, just in the quietness of our own heart. As we come to Jesus, we don't want to come lightly or frivolously, but in humility, knowing that Jesus came to die in our place for our sins. Let's have a time of personal confession. Let's just be still.